Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What's up, folks? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. I am your host, John Hutspeth, and welcome to the show. Uh, we have a great show today, but I'm going to start it off with a little sad news, and that is basically that pretty much all the hunting seasons are over now. Uh, deer's obviously closed, elk closed, bear closed. Um, at the time of this release, duck season will have closed. Um, I think there's a few more days of goose season. I guess Bobcat's still open for like another month, but for the most part, most of the things that you look forward to all year long are pretty much done. Um, yeah, man, duck season has been a big disappointment to me this year. I was, it, honestly, like I, I hunted about the same amount as I normally hunt. I had just been hoping and looking forward to duck hunting a whole lot more this year, and y'all have heard me cry about it for weeks now, but uh, just you know, earlier in the season when I had the time, we didn't have the ducks, in the little bitty stretch where we did have some ducks leading up to the Arctic Blast, I was just busy with work and holidays and family stuff and just wasn't able to get out there. So, gosh, I think I ended up going uh, five five times, something like that, maybe six. And I uh, had, had some decent hunts, but just not, not what I'd been dreaming of all year. So that's officially over at the time of this release. I think uh, coming into this weekend... Haven't really seen any many ducks around ever since the you know everything thawed out, but I'm probably gonna try just for the heck of it. If I shoot like one duck, I'll be pretty happy. So just gonna give it one last effort. Um, but yeah, like I said, pretty much all the fall hunting activities have come to an end. Um, time to focus on those coyotes, uh, man, hammer coyotes. Uh, possums, raccoons, whatever you can. Help the, the turkeys and the fawns out. Um, there are way too many of those little critters. Get ready to hammer those things. Um, planning a, a, a upcoming hog hunt with some of the Sportsman's Empire guys like we did last year. So looking forward to that. About to start getting uh, you know some prep going for that. And uh, and yeah, uh, it's it's time guys. Like It's time to get ready for the 2024 hunting season already. So do your postseason scouting. I had an episode about that. Uh, start getting ready to do your TSI work, um, clearing, all that good stuff, all your habitat stuff. It's almost that time. So anyway, enough with the sad stuff. Not much of an intro this week. We're going to get right into it because we have a really, really good, exciting episode this week. Many of you will remember Rhett Aker. He is the owner of Oklahoma Drone Recovery Company. And we had him back late, or on, I'm sorry, we had him on back in like late summer, early fall. And he obviously does recovery with a thermal drone. And we had a really good talk this summer. We went over a lot of like kind of the regulations, um, you know, his services and everything like, like that. But now we had him back on because he had a full season under his belt. Um, and he'll go through all the statistics and stuff. I think he got 117 calls this deer season. And so he had a lot of opportunity to, to fly the drones, find deer, and learned a ton. It was really, really interesting. And so not only are you going to learn about, you know, how the drone works and, you know, the success and everything like that, but you're also going to get to learn some about 
deer and behavior and shop placement and everything like that. So we had a really, really good conversation. It's a nice long episode that I don't want to ruin any more of. And so, like I said, that's pretty much going to do it for this week uh, or this intro. We got Rhett Acre, Oklahoma Drone Company. Get ready because we're getting into it right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode. Today we have Mr. Rhett Aker with us. How you doing, Rhett? Hey, man, I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, doing pretty good. It's uh, I would say it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, but it's still a little cloudy getting over. First, we had the, the Arctic blast, and then we had all the rain and everything. And I, I'm ready for spring, personally. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for spring. Yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, it's been, it's been pretty rough the past few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. All this, uh, all this, all this cold weather. I mean, it's been great duck hunting, but other yeah. than that, it's been good for us. Exactly. Like I, I, I put up with the cold through hunting season, but basically as soon as hunting season wraps up, I'm like, okay, let's just get to some warmer weather. So, um, <laughs> yeah, man. Well, uh, you are the owner of Oklahoma drone recovery and we did an episode back, uh, this, I guess, late summer, early fall. And uh, we were talking about your company and all the services you you provide, and we'll hit on that here in just a little bit. But the main reason I wanted to have you on today is because you now have a full season of drone recovery under your belt. And so I just I have to imagine you've learned quite a bit along the way. And so I'm just really excited to kind of hear all about it, hear what you learned, um, you know, any anything that you like tips or tricks for people, just all all the stuff that you learned this season. So um, that's what we got in store for today. But real quick, before we get into that, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Oklahoma Drone Recovery Company, we started back in January of 23. And, uh, you know, just with the off season doing off nominal jobs with pets and cattle and uh, we, we mainly open primarily for the recovery of, of deer come deer season. And, uh, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, man, there's been a lot of lessons learned this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, things that we thought we knew going in, you know, our perspective changed a little bit on, on some of those things. So, you know, I'm excited to dive into that and, uh, you know, kind of um, share a little bit about what we experienced. Awesome, man. Awesome. And, I want to start off kind of just like from the the 10,000 foot view, and we covered some of this, you know, in our our first episode, but, you know, maybe some people missed that. Maybe they saw this title and and are curious about it. So, um, so starting off, I just kind of want to talk about some of the the challenges and the benefits of using a drone for recovery. So um, I guess, like I said, kind of just big picture stuff. What are some of the benefits to using a thermal? And we are talking thermal drone. I don't know if we said that yet. Um, so, what are what are some of the benefits to using the thermal drone over some of the more traditional methods? You know, a dog or just getting a bunch of your buddies out there to to scour around the woods. No, for sure. So, I think you know a few of the benefits that just jump out. Um, one, you limit your exposure inside the um, the woods. So, in other words, you're eliminating or reducing the uh, human scent, uh, kind of getting scattered all throughout there. Um, two, you're able to cover so much ground. Um, and, and we knew that we were going to be able to do that, you know, before season, but actually kind of seeing it played out throughout the course of the season. Um, you know, this one, this one was huge. Um, you're able to just cover so much ground in a short amount of time. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's very advantageous. Um, another one is that you're not really limited to um you know blood 
right? I mean, if, if someone doesn't find blood and they're not, and they're not on a good trail, uh, fortunately, the drone doesn't care because you're going to go out and find whatever is out there, right? But then, you know, the, the last one, I think, you know, just kind of saves time and, and resources there. Um, I can't tell you how many times that, uh, you know, we, we found a deer um, within just a few minutes and, um, you know, the hunter had already been grid searching for a few hours. So it's just, it's just some neat technology, man, that, that if you haven't been exposed to it, I think you should at least see it once because I, I think um, th- depending on what side you find yourself on, you know, I think it, um, you know, th- there, there's room for uh, uh, some change of minds, <laughs> if, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes a ton of sense. And I have, you know, I've never flown a thermal drone, but I've, you know, used thermal for hog hunting and stuff. And yeah, I mean, just the advantage that it gives you is just unparalleled. And I can only imagine how that advantage multiplies when you're talking about being up in the air, you know, looking down instead of just like across the landscape. Um, so yeah, I mean, it makes total sense that this would be a, a fantastic thing. Um, so yeah, and, make- and to kind of t- tap onto that, John, you know, um, you know, the, the thermal aspect, I think that's kind of what sets the drone apart, right? Because you, you can go out and search for deer with a drone, but not having that thermal aspect sort of makes it more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, the thermal being able to, especially once these leaves, uh, you know, fall off these trees, um, the thermal being able to pick up anything and everything that's out there, you know, these deer can't hide. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it really takes the um, some folks say it takes the challenge out of it, you know, as far as being able to track them. And I, and I understand and, and appreciate that, that aspect. But for us, um, you know, I kind of have a different perspective on it. Um, you know, I, I'd like to get this, I'd, I'd like to put ourselves in a best position to succeed. And man, these thermals, the, the thermal aspect of it really accomplishes just that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as far as taking the the challenge out of it or whatever, you know, if, I think if you get to a point to where somebody calls you, they're they're calling you because they've either looked and can't find it or they just know right off the bat that they made a bad shot. And I think at that point, like just we as hunters and conservationists and, and humans, like we owe it to that animal to do everything possible to find that animal. And so like once once blood has been drawn, once that animal's, you know, life has kind of been put in jeopardy, uh, you know, if the alternative is it going to waste. Like, I don't see that being a, an issue personally. Like I, I, like I said, I, I'm agreeing with you. Like, I think you should do everything possible, whether that's dog, drone, you know, getting your buddies together, whatever that is. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that, uh, I don't know. I just see that we owe it to the animal to find it however possible at that point. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would echo that, right? I mean, in most of our, the cases, th- those guys um, who have called us um, exhausted all avenues, right? So mm-hmm. we, we're oftentimes they're their last resort and um and and a lot of times we went out there and found the deer so um man it's it's just it's just that that kind of stuff man it was encouraging to see uh hunters put forth the effort to to do what's right you know what i mean yeah um regardless of what route they took you know drone other methods that doesn't really matter um more more so than just saying oh i made a bad shot and and just being okay with that and, and not giving the animal a chance to be found in terms of, you know, putting in the effort to go in and locate that animal. But, um, yeah, so I'd echo what you said. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and we're going to, we're going to dig down a lot deeper into a lot of that stuff. And, and we're going to talk about some of your statistics and things you learned, but before we leave this, this 10,000 foot view, again, kind of more of an overview thing. Um, we do want to talk about some of the challenges and some of the things that maybe the drone isn't the best at. And so, um, yeah, just kind of talk about that. Like maybe some situations where the drone might struggle, um, and kind of, I guess, I guess if you had to say a downside to the drone. Yeah, you know, with as many benefits as there are to the drones, there, there are certainly just as many challenges, um, I, I would say. Um, but some of these challenges are going to be ironed out, right? I mean, um, the technicality side, you run into some challenges there. Uh, for instance, the drone, um, you know, early season in Oklahoma on the eastern side uh, can, can be difficult because you have so much foliage that are on the trees, right? Um, so in October, you know, we, we quickly discovered that um, – in order to protect and sort of uh, nurture, I guess, the drone community, the industry, we needed to become very selective on the, the jobs that we took. So, you know, early October, we took a few that that we quickly realized, man, you know, this this doesn't really look good. Mm-hmm. And we would evaluate each call. And if we didn't feel like that, that call was the uh, or that, you know, that, that call would put the uh, hunter in a position to use the drone and have the best success, then we would oftentimes recommend a dog. So, you know, we, we did that a lot in October. Um, so the, the main challenge there would just be the foliage, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, wherever you're at, if, if, if um, you know, you have a lot of foliage on the trees, just understand that's going to create a barrier. That's going to create a canopy. Um, that does not mean that you cannot find deer. We found deer in, in, in timber and in heavy timber. Um, and I know other drone pilots who are finding deer in heavy timber, but in comparison to what it's like right now in January, um, it's a black and white uh, difference in terms of you go out right now, you're going to find, I, I, I would bet there's 90, 95% chance you're going to find whatever you're looking for just because of how, um, you know, open everything is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so foliage creates a, a challenge, right? Yeah. Um, another um, becomes uh, obviously the regs, right? In Oklahoma, you can't you can't make money on state grounds like WMAs. You can go fly, but unfortunately you can't, you know, uh, take or collect payment, which, which is, which is, you know, a little bit problematic because the closest one to either of our pilots, you know, they're, they're a couple hours away or an hour away. Right. So it doesn't really, it's it's not really feasible. So unfortunately we, we couldn't really service WMAs um, this year simply because of that. And um, you know, that, that, that became challenging. And then, Obviously, your your technical issues, right? I mean, you're dealing with uh, firmware and software updates, and and if things go out or if you crash a drone, then you know you're down, and um, you know you you have those challenges too. So, you know, there, there are certainly some challenges associated with these drones. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when when you step back and and you look at the challenges and and you and you weigh them against the benefits, uh, the the benefits certainly outweigh. Um, the challenges. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- it shouldn't deter anyone from, uh, you know, deciding to call a drone in, in time of need. Yeah. I didn't know the the thing about the, the making money on the WMA. That's interesting. So I guess that would apply to a dog as well, right? Man, I, I don't know. So that that's a little bit of a gray area. I don't know. I mean, I would think so, right? Yeah. Um, as far as making, collecting payment, um, I, I would think so, but I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I know some guys, uh, um, you know, WMA ground with yeah. dogs, right? So yeah. I, I don't I don't know. I, I haven't dug into that aspect of it. Mm. Um, 
you know, and another, another challenge, you know, is, um, um, typically you want to fly these thermal drones when you have an overcast. If you're going to fly in the day, you want to fly during when it's overcast because the sun is, if you can imagine it's, it's heating everything up and, um, the trees, the bark, the, the, uh, the, the rocks, um, the soil, believe it or not, they, you know, I was surprised to learn that they retain so much heat. So whenever you're flying out in a bluebird day, um, it becomes difficult distinguishing, you know, other objects from other objects because how washed out everything is in the thermal view. Um, so typically, you know, whenever we're doing a search and if it's overcast, we don't think twice we go, but if it's, you know, bluebird, then we typically say, Hey, you know, let's wait until the evening and, and, and we'll get this thing found for you. So ideally when you want to utilize the thermal, you, you want to, you, you want to typically fly in the dark if, if you can, if you can make that happen. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hmm. Or at least that's what we, you know, that, that was in our experience. That, that's what we chose to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense uh, for sure. So uh, that's, that's a great transition into just kind of like some lessons that y'all learned this year. So, um, you know, we talked about some benefits, we talked about some challenges uh, as the season kind of progressed, you know, as you know, you go from October, November and on and on, were there things that you kind of learned to help, you know, mitigate some of these challenges and uh, you know, make you feel more confident that you were going to find the deer? Absolutely, man. I mean, you really have to vet out each case. You you can't treat each case the same. Um, you know, you, you have a series of questions that you always ask the the hunter, and one of them being, well, what's the train like, right? And is it mountainous? Is it flat? Is it you know, is it rocky? Um, you know, what kind of foliage are we looking at? And then, and then keep in mind, the foliage question pertains mainly to October. You know, when you get into November, we don't really care about foliage, hmm. but you know, you you ask those questions, right? And and and, and what you're doing is you're, you're basically, you know, collecting data as, as you go and, and um, um, use, using that data to gather um, more of like a concrete um, oh, a, a analysis, if you will, throughout, mm-hmm. throughout the season of, of, of uh, metrics to look back on, right? So, you know, you can go back and look, okay, well, um, this is a, a thick area here what's my success rate here um, so far throughout the year in, in, in this type of environment. Right. Um, and then you can use that data to, you know, to, to, to determine how you want to move forward in those, in those areas. And, 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 you know, I explained that earlier is in, in October, you know, how we chose to become very selective in our calls in certain environments. And that was based off of the data we collected uh, from previous calls. So, um, you know, lessons learned are, are just really, you know, vetting out those calls, vetting out, you know, the, the case by case criteria. And, um, if we didn't feel like we, we were probably the best tool, then like I said, we, we'd call a, call a dog in or, yeah. re- or recommend someone calling a dog in. Yeah. And that's one thing that I really kind of respected about you, you know, just listening to you and, and talking to you and stuff is like you do, and we'll get into this more later, but like you do recognize that sometimes a dog might be a better option. And I, I think a lot of people who might call you for your services would appreciate that, that you're going to be honest with them and be like, Hey, maybe this isn't the situation for the drone. Um, so just kind of a random thought that I wanted to throw out there that I appreciated uh, last time we talked and, and this time obviously too. So. Well, um, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah. and you, we've always thought, right. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's all about the hunter. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, 
about the hunter and and the dogs and the drones aren't competing against one another right mm-hmm. i mean uh they're, they're they're not competing they have the same goal at the end of the day and yeah. um that's you know that's 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 where we stand that's where we've stood and that's where we'll always stand awesome awesome man all right so i want to get into kind of more of the the kind of the lessons learned the data and that type of thing so uh my, my first question to you is you know after you got this full season under your belt did you learn anything about deer behavior that may, maybe surprised you or maybe you just didn't know, like, you know, when a deer gets hit, would it just run in the direction it was facing? Did they tend to go to like, you know, what you always hear look at, for water, the thickest stuff like, you know, let's say I, sh- I shoot a deer. I know it's a bad shot. I send you like an Onyx pin. Did you ever get to where you could kind of like maybe zoom out back? Like, oh, well, I think that deer is going to be there because it was more predictable or was it just completely off the radar? You never knew. So, so this answer is going to be completely subjective, right? I mean, this is subjective to uh, uh, myself and, and, and our pilots, right? And just based off of what we've observed. Um, so I'm not saying this is the case in every, you know, with, with, it, with every deer recovery, but for what we've seen, man, I can't tell you how many deer would run two to 400 yards in bed down. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and th- those are shoulder shot deer. I, I probably should have led in with that mm-hmm. shoulder shot deer. We've seen, we found so many that were ran that ran two to 400 yards and, and bedded down. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when, when you think about it, I mean, how easy is it to walk quickly walk 200 yards when tracking and not, and not even think about it, especially when your head's down and you're trying to find blood, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, so what I've never really thought of, and I, I guess because I, I wasn't exposed to the information that I am now is, um, how many times have, have I bumped a deer accidentally because I didn't expect them to be that close bedded down? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, so, um, that, that was something that, that we've observed. So at least for my own, you know, vantage point, you know, in terms of my own hunting, um, I feel like I at least have some sort of calibration uh, in terms of how far I want to search before I decide I want to back out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas previously I, I would probably just continue pushing it and pushing it and pushing it until I get to that three, 400 mark. And then I'm like, okay, you know, what, what's going on? Um, you know, do I need to call in some help type deal? Mm-hmm. Another thing is that, um, uh, and this is just kind of something fun. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't realize this year is that every deer that I found this year, I can't speak for my pilots, but every deer I found this year um, that was bedded down after being shot was laying on the side. It got shot on. Um, huh. Yeah. It, it's pretty interesting, right? Yeah. Because you would think, you would think that they'd want to sort. And, and I don't know, this is, this is me thinking, I mean, this mm-hmm. is right. I mean, my futile mind here, but uh-huh. you, you, you would think that they'd want to sort of, favor that side right not yeah. necessarily but um we, we got to the point where um you know i would ask you know obviously what the shot placement was like where where you shot him was he quartered yada 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 i wouldn't ask necessarily what side you shot him on but we'd find mm-hmm. the deer um and i said hey did you shoot him on the left side or hey did you shoot him on the right side and they're like yeah how did you know and we started i started doing this about mid mid november mm-hmm. and uh they're like, yeah, how did you know? I'm like, well, here's an interesting fact, right? <laughs> or uh, not a fact. Here's an interesting ob- observation that I've seen Yeah, is that if you shoot a deer on the right side, what we've been seeing is that deer will lay on the right side. So hmm. you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool there. Um, yeah. As far as that's going to help a hunter, I'm, I'm not sure, but yeah. um, 
I wonder if that's just like an instinctive thing. Like they're like, okay, like somehow they know I'm bleeding out of this side. So maybe if I lay, you know, mud will help. Like, I wonder if that's just an instinctive thing. That's super interesting. Yeah, I have no idea. I know whenever I'm hurt or I hurt a leg, I, I tend to to put more pressure on the <laughs> the non-injured one. Right? Uh-huh. I mean, so uh-huh. yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, as far as you know, how the deer would would behave and what they would do after they got shot, you know, we did see in some cases um, the deer run back to their bedding area, and and to me that kind of makes sense because I've heard a lot of folks say that you know deer when when they're hit often. Uh, kind of revert back to where they feel safe hence mm-hmm. the bedding area. um but in, in in other cases we found them completely uh the you know the opposite direction of where we thought they were going to be where they kind of circled back around on us so um you know as far as you know how they travel where they travel um or as far as where they travel i i, I probably didn't collect a whole lot of you know concrete consistent data on that one mm-hmm. um it was more so of you know what do they look like whenever we actually found them? You know, all these are operations there. Right. Right. Awesome. That's good stuff. Uh, you've, you've brought it up a couple different times and I think it's definitely something that I want to cover is, you know, shot placement. Um, cause that was one of the first questions I had. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned on our last episode that I've, I've had a dog out to, to track a deer that I hit and we ended up not finding it. But one thing that amazed me is, you know, partway into that track, uh, that dog handler was basically able to call what had happened and he ended up being hundred percent right. Like he was like, Hey, cause I thought I'd hit it right, right through the shoulder. Uh, you know, as the deer was running away, its shoulder was flopping. I thought I'd broke it. I thought it was a good shot. Just couldn't find any blood, couldn't find the deer. And he, he was like, Hey, I think you probably hit low. You probably hit opposite leg. Um, sure enough, about a month later, I got a picture of that deer and it was exactly what he called. And so, um, you know, I, I think just after time doing all these tracks and everything, you have to learn something about shot placement, placement and stuff like that. And so um, I guess the the big question here is like, you know, was there a shot that when somebody called and they said, hey, this is what the shot looked like. You were like, oh, we're going to find this deer or, oh, we might not find this deer. Um, and, and just kind of talk about some of the different shots you saw, you know, like this, this was one that we normally found the deer alive or this one we found the deer dead. So just kind of a a big umbrella of shot placement. Yeah. So I think, you know, um, in terms of feeling, Oh, we're going to find this deer or we're not going to find this deer. I don't know if that was necessarily based off the shot placement, more so of, um, uh, you know, your, your environment, your terrain type, Hmm. type structure. Um, simply because, you know, we we can go and find a deer. We we can go find a deer, whether it's shot, well or not i think the question became is are we going to find this deer dead or alive that was what we always asked ourselves, and that is really what the you know that that's really based off of the shot placement you're referring to so mm-hmm. you know we would always send these guys we would always send but we'd oftentimes uh send these uh folks uh, the chart i don't know if you've seen that chart it's a basically a deer's body with a grid you know right yeah numbers on one side letters on the other yeah exactly exactly and and you know we would kind of ask hey where did you shoot and one of the common themes that that we've seen is that folks tend to or tend to shoot a little high now whether that's self-imposed and and accidentally you know um you know the nerves hitting in or whether or not they just placed it perfectly right in that pump house but that Mm -hmm. deer ducked that arrow right i mean Mm -hmm. we don't know it doesn't really matter 
But the thing is, is like in those high shot placement uh, locations, um, we would find those deer and they would virtually be looking, you know, I mean, they, they, we'd find some walking around perfectly fine. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, and I say perfectly fine. <clears throat> They're not perfectly fine. They got an arrow stuck in them, but yeah. um, walking around and, and showing no signs of uh, fatal behavior. Um, so, um, you know, that, that high, that, that high kind of no man's land, um, shot placement where you have kind of like a, a void there between the guts and the, and the spine, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that shot right there, we've seen quite a bit. Another shot that we've seen was obviously the one directly right into the shoulder. So typically, you know, I've always been taught kind of shot, shoot behind that crease, right? Mm-hmm. My, that's the way I, I grew up. Dad taught me how to, you know, he, he said, shoot behind that crease, son. Right. So I would go, I always try to go behind that crease. Well, um, you know, we have, we had a lot of shots this year that, that were more so directly in the shoulder itself. Um, not necessarily back shoulder, but more forward and, and dead on shoulder, whether or not that's where they're aiming or, or, you know, that's where the deer kind of, uh, ducked into, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I can't, you know, I can't answer, but, um, those deer, those deer, a, a large portion of those deer lived. And just like that guy who you were talking about earlier with the dog handlers, man, those, you get, you get a good dog handler and those guys know their stuff and, and they can kind of tell you whether or not they find it or not, you know, sort of the, um, the, the outcome. Right. And, and we mm-hmm. saw that too. So, you know, we would see that deer, Hey, here's the deer. Obviously it, it looks like it's, it's okay. It looks like it's going to live to see another day. And sure enough, they'd get it back on camera a few days later, right? Mm. Um, so the ones that were the most tricky, um, and this is a challenge with the drone, one, the ones that was most tricky were the ones that were shot in the gut, right? Mm. Um, because you, you want to get, you know, we've, we've conducted several studies, and our studies were in very cold and rainy um, environments, probably not the best time to perform a case study on how long heat uh, retains inside a deer, but that's what we chose to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we see is we saw that on several deer, um, that we have about 12 hours before, uh, we sort of lose heat in that subject, right? Mm-hmm. Rig and mortar sets in and then, you know, the heat sort of, you know, dissipates out. I've heard of other drone, uh, operators having, you know, the 16, 17 mark. Um, but from, from from what i can gather that seems to be somewhat um you know uh somewhat the same throughout throughout mm-hmm. different operators so um and i think it's important when, to point out that that 12 hours is from death not the shot yes thank you yes yeah. that 12 hours is from death right and that's mm-hmm. and that's what makes it so difficult right mm-hmm. because when a deer is shot gut shot you know, you typically want to give it, you know, if you're going to go in there with a dog, you typically want to give it, I don't know, was it like 15, 24 hours or so before you go in mm-hmm. there with a dog? Well, a yeah. drone, you could care. You're not going to bump that deer, right? But on the flip side, you don't want to wait too long because you don't know when that deer is actually going to expire. Therefore, you don't know when your heat's going to be dis- dissipated out of that body. So yeah. that was one of the, that was one of the biggest challenges in terms of these gut shot deers. We received a lot of calls of Hey, uh, man, I, I shot a deer yesterday evening. Um, and you know, we wouldn't be able to get, get out there until, you know, later that evening, the next day. And it's like, oh man. Right. So if this deer died at, 
uh, say three o'clock in the morning, you know, if we follow the 12 hour rule, then it's going to, you know I mean? Like it, it, it puts that hunter at risk of that deer not dissipating heat, but you don't know when that deer died. Um, if it was shot in the gut or not even if it's shot in the gut, but in general. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, so a lot of times what we, what we've seen is they, they'd call us out. We'd find that deer that is, um, laying there, uh, and, and on its last leg, right. I mean, you, you can tell that it's not feeling good that you think it's going to die in the morning and uh, they'd go back out the next morning and, and we would obviously send them the, uh, the coordinates to, to where that deer was. They go back out and they'd find them in some cases they didn't find them. Um, so, uh, as far as shot placement go, I know I kind of went on a tangent there, shot, mm-hmm. as far as shot placement goes, um, you know, there, there were four shots that, that we observed this year that were, uh, problematic. The gut shot, obviously. And when I say gut, I mean, mid body, mm-hmm. the high, the high in uh, no man's land, the straight on shoulder shot. And then the, uh, um, the chest cavity shot straight on into the chest. Uh-huh. Um, those were the shots that that we we probably serviced the most. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't want to interrupt you because you were on a, a roll there, but I have a, a quick little tangent on shot placement because uh, I, I made the mistake myself when I was starting out bow hunting, um, and I just I know so many buddies that have had the problem and listeners of the podcast. You know, all I wouldn't say almost everyone, but a large portion of people that I hear after they shoot a deer, they're always go to the fear of, I think I might've been a little high. Like that's what I hear a lot of times. I might've been a little high. And, uh, I, I, I learned this a long time ago and I put it into practice, but when buck fever kicks in, it's hard to remember. Um, I think 99% of bow hunters practice on the ground and then hunt out of a tree stand from an elevated Mm -hmm. position. And, bows are not guns and your bow just shoots differently when you're up in a tree. And I don't think many people practice that and know how to account for it. And uh, again, like when I was younger, I used to only shoot my bow out of a tree stand. Like when I was in high school, still with my parents, I had a little climber in the backyard and I would climb up and shoot my, my bow out of there. Um, And then, like I said, the first like two deer that I shot with a bow I hit both of them high because when the, when the moment came, I was all nervous and I I hadn't learned a process yet and I hit several bucks high. And so nowadays when I'm, when I'm, you know, in my stand or blind, whatever, like I'm usually at least 10 feet off the ground. Um, And I'd say that's kind of where it starts. If you're 10 feet or higher, you need to aim a little bit lower than if you're standing flat footed on the ground uh, because gravity just affects that arrow differently. And so my thing now, as soon as that buck comes in, I'm getting ready to draw I start kind of whispering in my head, aim low, aim low, because like I said, after, after, I think I'd killed two deer with my bow. I hit both of them high. Um, and I was, I, I had started doing that aim low, aim low. And just as I was about to take the shot, the buck I was after moved and I'd settled in again. And I was just about to take my shot and he moved again and I got in a hurry and I didn't aim low and I ended up hitting that buck high. So like my first three deer in a row, I hit high. And so just a small little tangent um, you know, throw up a tripod in your backyard, go to some public land, whatever, you know, hopefully you have a tree in your backyard, but practice shooting from an elevated position because it will affect your arrow. So there you go. Tangent over. No, that's, Hey, that's a good tad bit, man. Mm-hmm. That was a, uh, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I look back at, you got me thinking, I, I look back at how often I shoot out of a tree. 
and yeah. I don't until yeah. I'm until I'm out in the field, right? And right. so yeah, that that's uh that's good advice. Yeah. Yeah, just something I always like to throw out there whenever I can, so especially for for newer hunters. Um, before we leave shot placement, I want to uh, take a second and just talk about uh, the different weapons. Um, you know, I'm sure you saw lots of compound bow, uh, crossbow, muzzleloader. Um, just talk about kind of different tracks from different weapons and maybe how the, the track varied depending on what the hunter was using. Yeah, so obviously, man, like... Um when when you talk about using a a rifle versus a bow what we saw was that typically you know you'd want to create a pretty good radius around your uh flight you know like in your flight path from wherever you're at right i mean mm -hmm. i mean you may cover with with a bow you may cover uh a, a mile radius right and and mm -hmm. you're just checking you're, you're you're checking absolutely everywhere you can for this deer um whereas a, a rifle what we've seen you know that's going to be shortened that, that's that's going to be i mean that diameter that radius is, is really going to be narrowed down because um you know what we were seeing that those deer oftentimes didn't go uh 100 yards before they decided to collapse over and the hunters just having a hard time finding them um so you know what i was kind of amazed at though was you know the 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 muzzle loaders and you and you hear this all the time in fact i think you said it on our last on your last podcast was that uh the the deer don't bleed you know what i mean yeah so so i was like oh that's interesting well i i took note of that on all our muzzleloader calls i i would took note on if that deer bled or not and the majority of them to my surprise did not bleed right mm -hmm. fortunately for us that doesn't matter right but um i just thought that was a pretty interesting sort of uh tidbit there was just the the fact that man i guess i never really noticed that yeah. right or i've been muzzleloading yeah i don't know if you paid this close of attention or not but uh on the muzzleloader deer did they get a complete pass through no not always no mm -hmm. in, in fact it was very very seldom they actually got a complete pass through on them yeah so i uh i have a cva 40 caliber one of the new ones they just came out with a few years ago wow and yeah. uh and part of the Part of what sold me on that is because, you know, you're supposed to get more velocity because it's a slightly smaller bullet, uh, but you have, you know, a higher ballistic coefficient because the higher speed and da, da, da. But uh, I think, uh, I think between me and a, one of my buddies that also got the same one, uh, I think two out of the three deer that we've killed with them, we found the the bullet inside the deer, did not get a complete pass. Through. Wow. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's the, that, that's the one I'll shoot what like three four hundred yards yeah yeah blackhorn what's that it, it, it uses blackhorn powder don't it yes yeah wow yeah now one what of the deer was kind of the last deer i killed with it was kind of facing me um and so it, that made a little bit more sense but but uh the deer that my buddy shot was perfectly broadside and we found the bullet you know wedged between the hide and the ribs on the far side wow that yeah, that's surprising, especially with that that gun at, right there specifically. That's yeah, uh, I, I have a lot of conversations with people. Or yeah, I've said it on here. So I have a very love hate relationship with muzzle loaders. I've I've only been doing it about three years now, and uh, I just I I just I I do it like I've I've killed deer with them, but I just I still don't have the same trust in them that I have with like a rifle or even my bow. Honestly, like if I had to shoot a deer at forty yards and you gave me the choice between my bow and my muzzle loader, I'm probably picking my bow. Oh, I'm I'm probably right there with you too. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I agree. And you know what's kind of interesting is that uh, when you look at the and, and that, I think this one's kind of common sense. It's just probably the ballistics, but the uh, you know when a deer was shot in a gut with a muzzleloader or especially a rifle. Um, you know, typically you had 12 or, uh, what, what do we say? Like 15, 24 hours with a, mm-hmm. a boat. Um, not, not the case with what we've seen with the deer. I mean, it was mm. that, that deer was going to die within a couple hours, you know? So mm. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, yeah. the difference between the two, one, I mean, obviously it makes sense, you know, uh, different, uh, uh, I mean, it's apples and oranges, right. But yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we've talked about a lot of the challenges and benefits and some lessons, uh, but I just want to hear some straight kind of data. Um, you know, I, I, it sounds like you kept pretty good records throughout the season. So just kind of talk about, uh, you know, your success rate um, found all that good stuff. Yeah. So I just updated the numbers. Um, in fact, I went on uh, our buddy show, uh, Taylor Maple show up in Oklahoma city mm-hmm. uh, just long ago. And, and, you know, these numbers are going to, be different than what I presented because I had a couple of calls that I left out and so forth. So anyway, um, we ended up this year with a 75% success rate. Um, and that, and that is a found, finding the deer dead or B finding just finding it in general, locating it right. Uh, yeah. live. Right. Um, we took, um, <clears throat> 117 calls. So 88 times of, or 88 of those calls, uh, we had a successful mission on. Now, I think what I need to highlight there is like in October, our success rate was 50%. The guys out West carried us truthfully mm-hmm. um, because I, I didn't, I did not do well uh, up in um, October on the Eastern side. One, I had technical issues. I was down for uh, a couple of weeks there, uh, but then uh, um they're not a couple, not in October, October, November area. Mm-hmm. Um, but majority of the calls in October, I was turning away on our side. Right. So, yeah. um, there were a lot of calls that we missed out on just cause I, you know, I'm not gonna beat the bush again, but just cause I said, you know, call a dog on. Right. Yeah. So, uh, our call volume, our guys out West carried us. We're at 50% in October. When you go over and you look at, um, November, um, I think we climbed to, 80, it was 82% in November and November, um, we, you know, the leaves are starting to fall off. We took, oh golly, it's close to, I think it was like close to 70 calls in November or whatever. Um, so we're, we're living on an 82% range there in November. You go on to December, we increased that to 92%. Um, so then now we're running a 92% success rate of all of our calls in November or December. And then in January, we landed, we landed at, uh, a hundred, um, all of our calls in January, we, we found them there. So when you look at the holistically as a season, 75%. Now for us, that was really good because coming in, you got to understand this has never been tapped into in Oklahoma before. So we don't even have a benchmark. You can't say, you know, Oh, the dogs run a 35 to 40% success rate. Therefore have your goal at 35, 40%. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't say that because you're you're measuring apples to oranges at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's 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 unfair to the dog community because you're 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 able the drone is able to capture a metric that the dogs are not, and that is um, an as is condition of the deer, whether it's alive or dead. A, a dog can't do that. Okay, so um, 
you can't say, you know, oh, the drone runs at 75 percent, dogs at 35, 40. Therefore, bam, you know, dismiss a dog. No, you can't mm-hmm. say that. Um, it, it, it's like saying and, and we had guys say this. And, and, and to me, the, the argument, it's an invalid argument. It just doesn't make sense. There's, there's not a lot of substance to it. I'd like to see a, a drone try to bay a deer. Mm-hmm. It's like a drone try to bay a deer. What, what are you talking about? The drone's physically incapable of doing that. It's not designed to do that. That's like saying I'd like to see a dog fly. Right. Or I'd, I'd like to see, a, I'd like to see a, a bike, uh, um, uh, just, you know, take you across a lake or something. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. or, or the ocean. I mean, it's like, it's apples to oranges here. So, yeah. um, we landed at 75% as a success rate. Um, what's interesting is that 34% of the deer we found of the 75% were dead. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which does, in fact, and I don't know if this is coincidence or not, which does, in fact, does align with what the um, uh, dog community sees, right? They have about a 35 to 40% success rate in dead deer, um, which is kind of what we've seen, right? So that means that mm-hmm. 76%, or is that right? 76? Oh, man, here's my, ba- here's my math. Here's <laughs> how bad. Good. Um, 100 minus 34, 66. Um, 66% of the deer that we found were still alive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, 66% of the deer we found were, were still alive. So, um, you know, w- when you look at the effectiveness of drones and, and how powerful and, and if there's a, a market for them, um, I, I think looking at this data, one can certainly come to a conclusion there, there certainly is whether or not, you know, what side you find yourself on of whether you think drones are beneficial or, or not, you know, you can't, you can't deny numbers and, and yeah. these numbers talk and, and, and it's not just us that, that are seeing this, right? I mean, there are other drone companies in Oklahoma um, that are seeing this as well. Th- those guys did well as, as well. So, you know, I think that the, just the effectiveness of these drones really is going to sort of revolutionize the, the recovery that that we've been accustomed to yeah that number that 66 percent were still alive that's kind of a mind-blowing number to me um i mean obviously people are calling you when they are having trouble or made a bad shot so i mean i guess if you really think about it, it makes sense but uh man what a testament to just how tough these these animals are that uh that mean it's, it's not like somebody's shooting and and you're showing up on spot right away like i assume it usually takes a couple hours to get there or wait till dark and all that stuff so um yeah that is that's kind of a shocking number that that high of the percentage are still alive when you get there um oh and th- these deer are so resilient right and, and i mm-hmm. knew that going in but this is just sort of opened my eyes a little bit and provided a new light and a new perspective on just how resilient and you know th- these animals are. I mean, you, you've got hunters that have devoted hours into practicing, right? And most mm-hmm. hunters, I, w- I would argue, devoted hours into practicing. Yeah. Um. So they're not going out there and, and uh, um, you know, making hail mary shots. I mean, I mean, the it's it's just a testament of how how you know they're will to live, they're will to survive. You know. Yeah. And one other thing I want to throw out, just kind of to your benefit, uh, you know, you said you had a seventy five percent success rate. That doesn't necessarily mean that you couldn't find 25% because of whatever, you know, there's a very good chance a lot of those deer were just still alive and, you know, and fine. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that there was a 25% of your deer were dead out there and you couldn't find them, right? Oh, oh, absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you voicing that because, mm-hmm. you know, there, there were many occasions where, you know, 
that person had already tracked that deer a mile or two, right? Mm-hmm. Or they've, they've already had, you know, um, other people out there tracking. So earlier, whenever I said that we're people's last resort, unfortunately, a lot of the times we got the, we got the bottom end of it, right? So we're kind right. of, we're, we're, we're trying to come in and play hero on, on this ordeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and a lot of times those deer that we didn't find, uh, have, have typically, I mean, the hunter would, you know, to their admission that they've bumped that deer two mm-hmm. or three different times. So mm-hmm. we knew going in and though, in those jobs that, um, you know, th- this one, this one may not have, you know, this one's going to be more challenging, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we talk about track preservation, right? And, and the same thing go, does go for uh, a drone, right? I mean, um, of course we can find deer that are a mile, a mile and a half out. We did that this year, but it's certainly, it's certainly difficult, more difficult yeah. than if that track wasn't, you know, um, or excuse me, if that deer went bumped to begin with, does that make sense? Oh yeah, so, absolutely. But yeah, you're exactly right. That 25% doesn't mean that we couldn't find them. You know, there's a lot of different variables that go into that 25%. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I just wanted to make sure we were clear on that. So, um, so we've, we've talked quite a bit about, you know, dogs and drones. And, um, again, I, I love that you're very upfront about, uh, you know, the benefits and everything of both. So I want to give you a quick second, just kind of talk about the difference you know like when might be a good time to call a dog instead of a drone or vice versa you know some benefits of each maybe a little bit of the downside of each and just kind of we we covered this on the last episode but just kind of a quick little overview of when you might want to use one or the other yeah i mean you know i you know just just like i've been saying probably heavy foliage um you may consider calling a a dog in right um you know in in terms of uh um you know, if, if, if you're looking two or three days later, perhaps maybe a, a dog would, would be better if, if that, if you know that deer, or you think that deer is hundred percent dead, right? Because then that, that drone's probably not going to be able to pick up the, the heat on that animal. Um, you know, in, in case, in cases like that, uh, obviously, you know, you, you gotta look out for your, um, uh, your, uh, Oh goodness! Your air, your uh, your air spaces, the classification mm-hmm. of your airspace, right? Uh, obviously, a dog don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, let's see. Uh, winds, you know, and in, in extremely high winds, uh, which you know I, it, that goes to say we found we searched in high winds. We really pushed. We really pushed the limits on our drones this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we were we were searching in rain. We found deer in rain and storms, um, and in high winds. Uh, we also had some failures in, in those type of environments, right? You ain't got to worry about a dog falling, uh, uh, 80 feet from the air. Right. So, yeah. you know, in, in, in very harsh, you know, environments where maybe there's not rain, but mm-hmm. there's a good 60 mile an hour wind. I don't know if those dog trackers even get out in that stuff, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just trying, I'm, I'm on, on this, on the fly here. I'm trying to create some, you know, some level of an idea of yeah. sort of what you know the, the limitations you know what i mean yeah and we you know we've kind of covered it pretty good throughout the podcast i think definitely the big one is the foliage like that one makes a lot of sense um again just from the 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 throw the thermal experience that i have again just kind of being on the ground you know i've i've shot pigs that have ran into the brush and and if it's early in the year or if it's just that thick like you're just not going to find them because you know the 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 thermal imaging can't go through trees, you know, it's not, it's not magical powers. Like you have to be able to physically see it. Um, so yeah, oh, that's, that's, exactly that's right. definitely a big one. So, 
Uh, and then just kind of, again, just so people know, um, you know, you've talked about a few of the different regulations, but what are some of the big regulations people should be aware of? And then one of the, one of the biggest ones, especially with when it comes to the regulations is, you know, you've talked about a big number of these deer that you found were still alive. So let's say, you know, I have a deer, it's wounded. I call you out, you find the deer, it's still alive. Legally, what can I then do with that knowledge? So, so it depends on, on when we find them, right? So um, if you're within legal shooting hours, then we can stow the drone and you can, and, and you can pursue that animal if the drone's away and you can try to stalk that animal, put him out of his misery. If, if, if we're not, and you know, it's not legal shooting hours, then unfortunately there's nothing you can do. And we found ourselves in that position a lot this year, an absolute lot where someone would be like, can we just go in it and get them? I'm like, man. There's nothing more than I want. There's nothing more than I want than to, than than to put this animal out of its misery. But, but I, but we can't, right? I mean, I, I, we, we just can't go in after it. So, you know, the regulation there, you know, um, of not being able to pursue that animal, uh, outside of shooting hours, just kind of watching it, you know, trying to expire. Mm-hmm. Um, really, nothing we can do about that and and it sucks to see from a sportsman side because you don't like seeing that but from a legal side you know you really have to comply to that um legally you, mm-hmm. you know we're, we're, we're held to comply to that yeah yeah and i think one big thing you mentioned you know even if it's daytime you can't just sit there and hover over that deer and say hey a little more to the left a little more to the right like you can't lead somebody into that because that's very much illegal like you are then using the drone to hunt game um and so basically, you know, with your services, you can find the deer, you can assess the deer, whether it's alive or dead, you can help people get a good pinpoint on it, but you cannot actually sit there and help them kill the deer. That's yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And I know that there are some, uh, you know, I've been speaking with some of the wardens, there's some regulations coming down the pipeline in, in next year season. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're trying to work those out and, and kind of see what makes sense um, and, and sort of you know, sort of, sort of sort of just try to put some legislation in place to sort of legitimize the industry, if you will. Mm. Um, so that said, you know, there, what, what was legal this year may not be legal next year. So we're going to see what that looks like. Um, and, uh, so, you know, there, there's, there's a lot, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out just nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, I think we did a pretty dadgum good job of, of covering all this stuff. Um, man, it's, it's awesome to hear what you've learned. And, uh, I mean, ever just like the statistics, like, again, the, the one that keeps blowing me away is, is how many of those deer were still alive. Um, and all the stuff about shot placement and everything. Uh, but before I let you go, I want to give you a chance just to kind of tell, uh, just again, to kind of share some exposure about what it is y'all do and everything. Um, just a, a story from this year. Um, it can be whatever you want, uh, yeah. pet, deer, whatever. Uh, just to give you a chance to kind of showcase what you guys can do. Yeah, my favorite story. That's a tough one. I've got several that pop up. I think probably my most rewarding um, is actually is actually a pet. So I received a call and this uh, of a of a uh, from a husband. Um, his wife was actually uh, involved in a wreck there on I-40 over by Seminole, where she rolled her car a couple of times, um, you know, broke some bones, bruised up, got 
sent to the hospital. She's in rough shape. Uh, in the meantime, the 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 glass on the on the car uh, breaks out. The back glass it, it shatters, and she has two dogs that were in there. Well, these dogs get loose. They're running down I forty, um, you know, and you know how busy I forty is, and um, they're in Seminole, and and they've they go somewhere. They don't mm-hmm. really know where. They have no idea. So the whole community of Seminole gets kind of involved in, and the the uh, law enforcement start helping out and so forth. Well, about two days later, they decide to call us, and um, you know, we we go out there, and long story short we found both dogs um, and they were about a mile apart. Um, but one had a broken or uh, one was on a, on a side of a, uh, I think it was the Canadian North Canadian mm-hmm. just sitting there. Um, but dude, I, I dogs are so elusive. The, mm-hmm. the reason why this is such, this the reason why this is my favorite story is because dogs are so elusive. They're so random. They're so sporadic. There's really no rhyme or reason to where they travel or how they travel or, or right. I mean, they can go miles in just a, in, in an hour. Right. So um, going out there and trying to find a dog can be a very um, difficult challenge. And uh-huh. to go out there and find both dogs. Um, one was uh, whenever I found him, he was actually running across the highway. Um, so we you know, had to kind of we're about a mile away. We had to go and chase him down and we ended up getting him. And then the other one, uh, we went about a mile East and we searched there for a good while. We didn't find him. And then we decided to go back Northwest and there he was along the Canadian. So, uh, mm-hmm. man, it was really cool to just be able to read out both of them and then see the, uh, the, my favorite part about all of that is just seeing the reaction on the, uh, owner's face. Mm-hmm. Um, Man, it makes it completely worthwhile. I'll tell you, you know, she's, she's there in the hospital and she's, she's banged up and she ain't doing well. And, um, and then for her to see her dogs, just the whole thing just made it worth it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was probably my favorite story. And, and that's not to say that the other ones are, are less meaningful, but that one just kind of hit home. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also just a good reminder for people that, you know, y'all don't just do deer recovery, pet recovery, uh, cattle, sheep, I, th- I think I saw a picture of a donkey uh, from the summer. Y'all find <laughs> yeah, the donkey? yeah, man. We, <laughs> yeah, folks call us out to do some donkey. Uh, uh, oh, goodness. Uh, analysis, right? Heard, oh, yeah. heard him. Yeah, go okay. find some donkeys. Got some donkeys that have been missing. We go find those two. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, man, listen, if you got anything that's lost, um, uh, call us. We, we would be happy to help you guys. Uh, recover this thing, reunite you, you know, reunite you to uh, whatever's missing there. So, um, yeah, cattle, pets, uh, people, you know, we, we're doing real estate as well. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of doing dabbling into all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, let's say I got something missing and uh, I want to want you to come help me find it. Where should people go to find you? Uh, they can go to our Facebook page at Oklahoma Drone Recovery Co. Or they can go to our website at www.oklahomadrc.com or, um, you know, Facebook or not Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Oklahoma DRC. So any of those uh, should link you to our contact information. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Rhett, I really appreciate this. Uh, that was some, some really good stuff. And uh, I, gotta, I hope I don't need to call you. I'm sure you hear this a lot. Um, but I would be interested to to see this work sometime. So, so yeah, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. And we'll have to have you on again sometime next year. 
Absolutely. Thank you, John. I appreciate you. There we go, folks. Thank you, Rhett, for coming on. Really, really good stuff. Some of the statistics and everything that he had um, were really mind-blowing. And, and, man, the one that keeps just sticking out to me is how many deer were still alive, you know, hours later. And talking about some of the distances those deer went, you know, three, 400 yards. It makes me think back to, like, every deer I've ever tracked and, like, man, how close was I to that deer? Or did I bump that deer even though I gave it a bunch of time? Uh, yeah, just really, really cool stuff. And so, like I said, hopefully, you know, Rhett runs one of those businesses where hopefully you don't need him, but if you do look him up and give him a call because he is definitely going to be able to help you, especially like he talked about kind of as the season progresses. So, so yeah, really good episode this week. Thank you guys for tuning in. I can hear my daughter starting to cry in the other room. So I'm going to let you guys go. Have a good one. And until next week, I will see y'all right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast.